it's, it feels quite weighty, um, not pertaining to the preacher so much, but rather to the weightiness of the content and the action. What does it mean for a few moments at least to be the mouthpiece of God the Spirit in full view of one's own fallibility, brokenness, sinfulness, humanity? And then to add to that the brokenness of the world around us, and it feels rather paralyzing. But the necessity of preaching comes from the necessity to consistently hear out loud the word of God, the words of God. We need to speak them out loud into this world, in sync with the heavenly hosts and with authority over sin and death. And we need to hear the word of God land upon our ears. We are oral speaking and oral hearing beings. We were fashioned for this. Whether we recognize it or not, at a very basic level, we perhaps come here on Sunday mornings because we have been fashioned with an intense longing for truth and for goodness and for beauty. And when we gather together, we rest our hope on the expectation that at least here, O oh Lord, at least here we may see you as you truly are. We may be met with hope and life in the face of a shattered world around us. And so it is with this in mind, and in the wake of this week's global events, that I share this word with you this morning. Friends, hear the word of the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 to 18. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We celebrate the written world, word of Scripture. We celebrate the living word, Christ, among us. Verse 18. 
We all with unveiled face, ketoptrids aminoi. What a mouthful. Ketoptrids aminoi, meaning beholding as in a mirror, beholding as if seeing our reflection, beholding as if seeing our own image before us, the glory of the Lord. We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord as if looking at the reflection of our own image. We all how with unveiled face beholding in our very own mirror image the glory of the Lord. We all with unveiled face are being transformed into that same image of the glory of the Lord, that very image. And we are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, from one degree of glory to another, from the glory of the verse 7, ministry of death carved in letters of stone brought down from Mount Sinai by Moses, the verse 9, ministry of condemnation to the glory of the ministry of righteousness, which exceeds, surpasses, is permanent. Verse 18, for this comes from the Lord. We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, as if in a mirror, are being transformed into that very image from the glory of the old covenant to the glory of the new covenant, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And that's just one verse out of over 30,000 in the Bible. It is incomprehensible to me. It is beyond comprehension, this reality. But despite perhaps a deep desire for our faces to be unveiled and to actually remain that way, we live in a world that often challenges the reality of God's glory at work. At least for myself, I've historically been the kind of person who, when people pray things like, thank you God for food to eat and clothes on my back and a roof over my head, things, why are we thankful for things other people do not have? Who exactly are those lilies of the field in Luke 12 that are dressed even more gloriously than Solomon? I've been the kind of person who, when people thank God for waking up this morning, for having another day of life, for at least being alive, thinks not everybody wants to wake up the next morning. What about those people who sometimes would just so rather not, who wake up and curse God for another day, Job 3, who long for death, but it comes not. And the thing that keeps coming back to me as I pray and question is really annoying, actually, because it strikes me as pithy, but I know that it's true. And it's this, perspective. It may sound like the cop-out answer of the millennium, but it turns out it's not just a story about the pessimist and the optimist, about simply seeing the bright side of life in the face of mounting casualties and the Gaza conflict and the Malaysia airline crash and the paralyzing implications of these realities on a global stage. No, it is rather about seeing with unveiled face the fullness of reality, the depths of sorrow, suffering, evil, sin, and death, as well as the completion of the cross of Christ 
and the sheer glory of redemption yet in all that is around us. I believe it is, in fact, in times like these, in times when hope seems an impotent ideology or a shallow response, that it is all the more imperative that we see the world with unveiled face. And so we can defiantly and still authentically dare to say all things yet are becoming new. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork, Psalm 19. Even the stones will cry out if we will not, Luke 19. It is why it is so important to remind ourselves of divine encounter, of encountering the face of God, the glory of God, encountering Christ incarnate, God with us, of encountering the Lord who is the Spirit, encountering the kingdom of heaven here on earth, as Reverend Clark spoke about last week. At least for me, I find it very easy to forget in my daily life that I live in God's world. This world in which his kingdom has broken in, has arrived, and continues to break in with greater and greater measure. That I live in a world that is teeming with opportunities to encounter God's presence, his glory, if I would just relinquish the veil. It's so easy for me to forget. Sometimes I can sit in a church building and not be reminded that I daily live in God's house, that this building alone is not where God lives. I forget that I can always say in every time and in every place, my God, you are in this place even now. And it makes me want to whisper, There's a concept with Celtic Christian origins known as thin places. The idea was that thin places are physical locations where the distance between heaven and earth is particularly represented by a thinness of space, and thus places where God's presence can be perceived more strongly and palpably than others. And I'm admittedly not completely convinced of that. In some ways, I recognize, yes, that there are places that for various reasons help us orient our attention to the presence of God more easily. For example, church buildings through their architecture and interior design, much like this building, are infused with historical and traditional aids to help us recognize the presence of God who is already here. But to me, everywhere is a thin place if we are attentive. It is one of many reasons why it is so important to have a regular rhythm of slowing down. Sabbath is not arbitrarily part of the Ten Commandments. Sabbath weekly keeps us from spiraling out or hurtling down a hill, building momentum, finding somewhere way down the line that we have completely lost control, lost all side of reality, significance, meaning, the bigger picture. Sabbath is a gentle push on the brakes that says, slow down, rest, look up, look around you, be attentive, listen. I, the Lord, your God, am alive. I am at work. 
I am redeeming all things to myself, including you, my beloved, my beloved. Come, be a part of my redemption this week. In this way, if we go on retreats, we do not go in order to go to a thin place per se, but rather to reorient our attention to the reality that we daily live in a thin world. And we ourselves are thin places, and for this reason are able to experience every place as a thin place. When people meet us, we present them with an incarnate, a bodily thin place by which to encounter the very presence of God. Wow! All of God's creation reflects his glory, but we human beings are the only image bearers of his creation. We alone have the capacity for an attentiveness, a sensitivity to the glory of God in all he has made, to take part in the ministry of righteousness in the words of the Apostle Paul that is happening all around us but also to the ministry of righteousness that is happening within us. We are called as image bearers and thus co-creators to be attentive and sensitive to the glory of God in all we do and make, which profoundly impacts and shifts all we do and all we make. We spend very little time at retreat centers, on mountaintops, in church buildings. So what about beyond these walls? What about in the midst of this broken world. Thankfully, we are not simply called to live in the tabernacle. We, in fact, are temples in which God abides through his spirit. Many of you will be familiar with the phrase, holy of holies, or the most holy place, which in ancient Israel designated the innermost place in the tabernacle where the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Almighty God, abided behind a curtain a veil. Only the high priest of the Levite, Levite tribe could enter into the Holy of Holies, and even then, only on the Day of Atonement, with very specific and elaborate pre- preparations, Leviticus 16:2, so that he may not die. We not only have access to the Holy of Holies every moment of our lives, but we are ourselves infused with the presence of Yahweh, the Lord who is the Spirit, incomprehensible. And yet somehow we're able to take that for granted. Sometimes we still manage to veil the presence of God from even our own sight. And it profoundly changes the way that we experience or don't experience everything. In Exodus chapter 34, each time Moses encounters the Lord, his face is ablaze with the glory of God. I can't even imagine it. And yet scripture says that that glory is idiomatically nothing compared to the glory of the ministry of righteousness ushered in by Christ, the only one who can unveil our faces through his death, resurrection, and ascension, and through the sending of his Spirit, the Lord who is the Spirit. Moses had nothing on us. The greatest revelation and revealer, the only unveiler, is the revelation of Christ to us. 
He was both a revelation of the glory of God, but he also opened people's eyes to the glory of God at work all around us, as well as the glory of God that abides and is at work within us. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35, recounts the story of two disciples on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Talk of revolution against the tyrannical empire of Rome was on the rise. But then the favored prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, was crucified. We had hoped, say the two disciples to Jesus, to Jesus, that he was the one to redeem Israel. All hope, seemingly, was lost. But they had encountered the risen Christ on the third day, following his crucifixion, and not yet knowing it was he, Jesus, they invited him to stay with them. Verse 29. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. In encountering and communing with Christ, and therefore in our communing with one another, the world is revealed to our unveiled faces, as it is in reality. Likewise, when we relinquish the veils on our faces to reveal the glory of God ablaze within us, we not only ourselves see, but we also reveal to the people around us the true nature of the world being redeemed. In this way, communion with Christ is both a promise and a calling. In communion with Christ and one another, we see with eyes anew the promise of the glory of God, yet redeeming all things around us. And we are called to reveal the glory of God with unveiled faces ablaze by participating in this redemptive trajectory ourselves. Truly, we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, as if in a mirror, are being transformed into that very image, from the glory of the Old Covenant to the glory of the New Covenant, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Amen.